0: in a world called Craig's List. Hello. My name is Marty DeBurgie. I'm a filmmaker. I make a lot of commercials. The little dog that chases the covered wagon under the sink, that was mine. 217 I first heard a podcast called Craig's List. Don't look for it on the internet. It's not archived anymore. But that day I heard something that for me redefined the word movie list podcast done by a husband and wife. I remember being knocked out by their exuberance, their raw power, and their lack of punctuality. Those podcasters were Craig and Carla Kikowski. One year and 77 episodes later, they're still going strong. And they've earned a distinguished place in podcast history as one of America's loudest couples. So when I heard that Craig and Carla were going to devote an episode to my 1984 documentary, This is Spinal Tap, with special guest Travis McElroy, well, needless to say, (laughs) I jumped at the chance to make my own podcast, if you will, rockcast, that you're about to hear. I wanted to capture the the sounds, the, the quotes, and the smells of a hard-working couple independently putting out a podcast. And I got that. But I got more. A lot more. But hey, enough of my yakking. What do you say? Let's boogie.
1: <laughs> I'm sorry that I opened my can of LaCroix very loudly in the middle of that.
0: Yeah, that was <laughs> obvious and very audible. I thought it
2: was really great uh, Foley.
0: <laughs> <laughs> we do have a full-time Foley artist on this show. Don't you?
2: Well, Doesn't everyone? I can tell you because I was watching the video that actually uh Carla didn't open a can. That's all movie magic. She made that sound with her face. <laughs> just made it sound like she was opening a can and nailed it. Carla, do it again. <laughs> yeah. Well, yep, that time spot on. she just smacked, like... A piece of meat against an old boot to make that. Sound.
0: <laughs> it was amazing. Ladies and gentlemen, Craig's listeners, welcome to Craigslist episode seventy-seven. We're covering number twenty-four on my list, my twenty-fourth favorite movie, 1984's This is Spinal Tap. Carla, this is a a documentary about a real rock band.
1: Yeah, totally. <laughs> I thought so. Uh,
0: I know that we covered Stop Making Sense. I thought that was the last documentary on the list, but I forgot about this one, which is all totally real. Uh, and to help us do that, I, I've already dropped his name a little bit. Uh Boy, we have podcasting royalty on today. You mm-hmm. know him from such podcasts as every podcast, mm-hmm. but mostly my brother, my brother and me. Yep. Uh Please welcome
2: Travis McElroy. Hi. Hello. Thank you so much for having me. On your podcast, I feel like um, I'm your adopted son for this podcast, yeah. my parents, yep. Craig, and Carla here. Aww. Um, I was going to, okay, in my improv moment there, I thought about doing like a you, me, and Dupree, like I'm Craig's friend from college, crashing on the couch. <laughs> but then I thought it was funnier to instead make myself your son. Um,
1: <laughs> I appreciate that. We don't have a real son. We have a dog. Now that you we do. call our son. Now I know. Now your we have son. a real son. Yeah.
0: He's off at college in Cincinnati and Skyping in yeah. <laughs> with us. How's uh, freshman year going, pal?
2: Uh, it's going pretty great. I met a girl. <laughs> and I've got a two year old. So, uh, Good
1: work, honey. Good wow. Work. Already
2: speaking of real quick, just want to say I did not realize till I was watching this film with my wife. She had never seen it before either. So I got to watch it with my wife for the first time, which I, also, wow. I've seen it many, many times. Um, and I was watching it and she was like, wait, what's happened? And I was like, wait, do you not know this? Like, no, I've never seen this before. And it was, it was fun- the things you learn about someone after eight years of marriage that she's never seen one of my favorite comedies as well.
0: <laughs> <laughs> yeah carla uh, have you ever even seen parts of
1: this i have i've seen parts of it but
0: I, never uh, sat down and watched the whole thing
1: no i tried to watch it years ago maybe in high school and i i was like i don't i don't get this
2: <laughs> have you seen other other of the christopher guest you know which i always feel is reductive because like i feel like everybody plays such a big part in it but other Christopher yeah. Guest improv movies? I, I The have.
1: Guestiverse? Yeah. And I love those movies, actually. Some of those are my favorite movies, but this pro- was probably before I saw any of those movies that I tried to watch this movie.
0: Oh, okay. Yeah, it'll be interesting to uh, contrast it with our experiences with the Christopher Guest directed ones, because... Yeah. All of the DNA is kind of present there, but there are some, I think, distinct differences in just the approach mm-hmm. and the style of it a bit. The, but it's basically it's an improvi- i The the gig is up. This is a fake movie. It's a mock <laughs> a documentary, if you will, a a mockumentary for lack of a better term. That's brilliant. Did uh, you
1: just coin that. Oh, well, we're going to be so rich. Baby,
2: we can send you to grad school, son. <laughs> You're going to grad school. I think, I think that this is of the, of the guest diverse other guests. And, and, and really, I will say other mockumentaries I have seen. I think this is maybe the most successful because it really is shot and filmed like maybe it's just because it's the quality of the film from the eighties versus like quality of film that it's actually being shot on. I mean, like the actual physical. Mm-hmm quality of like it gives it a much rawer documentary feeling to me. Mm-hmm.
0: Yeah. It's very blown out and it looks very much like those rock documentaries from the seventies, like The Last Waltz yeah. and so- right. Song Remains the Same, uh, which is Led Zeppelin. Well
1: and the other the other guest films, the other guest mockumentaries don't really have a template that they're following in the same way that this one does in terms of it being a rock documentary, yeah. right? Like there's no documentary about a community theater necessarily, <laughs> right?
2: Well, yeah.
0: So, good point.
2: I also feel like in the editing, there's something about in this where there was like long, and I, this is gonna sound like I'm knocking it, but this is actually a huge compliment for me. Is like there are parts of the movie where nothing is especially funny or interesting is happening, and mm-hmm. but it's in there, and so that feels very real to a documentary. Like the the moment of them, there's a moment of him complaining about the size of the bread versus the Mm -hmm. meat, and it feels (laughs) like an improv scene that never quite goes anywhere, and that's what makes it feel like a real conversation that someone really have with someone who, like, wants to complain but can't think of a good thing to complain (laughs) about. And it feels (laughs) very real and not like a joke. It Mm feels like you're like, where's the funny thing? Oh, the funny thing's coming. Oh, that was just, okay. And, like, that makes it feel very realistic to me
1: yeah
0: I agree yeah there's something very unpolished about it apparently they most of the takes you see in the movie are first takes as well because they wanted pure reactions mm-hmm. uh, and there's a fair amount if you're looking for it of breaking yeah. in this movie too mm-hmm. uh, and as a 15 year old see or I might have been 14 because this came out in 1984 I saw it on the big screen uh, when it came out uh, and yeah wow. my, my best friend Toby and I went to see it with his dad because uh, we had to go to Springfield, Virginia, and uh we had to be driven there because we were fourteen. I don't know what his dad thought of it or if he thought it was funny or real or or whatever, but we immediately fell in love with this movie and Knowing that years later I'd be an improviser, I think it's very telling that my favorite comedy at the time was completely improvised, though I did not know that at all. There was just something about it that felt very different and real and unpolished. And I like the fact that I could kind of see people laughing at times.
1: But you knew it was a comedy.
0: Oh, I definitely knew it was a comedy. I didn't I did fall for it being a real (laughs) band or a real documentary. It's
2: weird to me that that I I was reading the – imdb kind of trivia because that's what i do when i like a movie because i'm a big old nerd and there's a lot of like refer- they reference like liam gallagher and noel gallagher from oasis like and noel having to break the news to liam that it was fake <laughs> and like the 30 seconds in marty de compliments the band on their punctuality and i'm like yeah, yeah. that Up till that moment, I could see where you thought, like, maybe this is a real movie. But then he compliments a rock band on their punctuality. (laughs) How do you, after that, keep thinking? Uh, But I will say that, like, as far as DNA, uh, like, you talked about, and then you became an improviser. Like, I will say that the guest movies really informed like if you've ever watched the six episodes of the My Brother My Brother and Me TV show like we went into it saying like and then we'll know what we want to happen in this scene but we're not going to script anything or write anything we're just going to like honestly have the conversation and honestly react to people and like we told people like don't try to be funny just talk to us and like because you are a real person who does this real thing so like when we were talking with the mayor or talking with like the, the owner of the store those are actual you know the actual mayor and the actual owner of the store and we didn't want to script anything because then it would feel fake. And we kept referring to it as like a Christopher Guest movie. And we like, yeah. do the same thing with the Adventure Zone. where are like, we know what we want to happen, you know, because Griffin has, like, set it up and said, like, in this scene, we have to reveal that he doesn't tell us this. But then we improv the lines within the beats, which I think is maybe one of the most, like, brilliant storytelling <laughs> conventions is, like, as long as we get the plot points moving, say whatever you want in the middle right. of it is so fresh and, like, a good, like, interesting to watch and listen to.
0: There's a lot of times in this movie where Michael McKeon specifically is kind of tripping on his words. Mm -hmm. He's he's kind of, as he's talking out loud, kind of thinking of the thing that he really wants to say Mm -hmm. and rephrasing, which is what people do as they're just talking out of their ass. And it it feels so real and grounded.
2: And it really conveys, I mean, whether they intended it to be this or not, it really conveys this feeling of like this band that thinks very highly of themselves and really considers themselves geniuses. Mm -hmm. But then when pressed to, like, answer a question about their music, they, like, are trying to sound really lofty and smart, but they can't (laughs) actually, like, formulate the the scenes between Nigel and Marty where, like, they're talking about his equipment and he's, like, can't answer the questions. (laughs) is like, so brilliant because it really makes it feel like this artist who doesn't actually know what he's talking about but thinks he does. And, like, that feels very real and very funny to me. (laughs) <laughs>
1: mm-hmm. Yeah, I love that scene where he's talking about the amps going to 11.
0: It's so that's funny. That's the most yes. famous line for the movie. Well, oh, is uh, it? I'm, gl- I'm glad that you liked it because it's so immortal, like that scene with all the guitars. I I mean, they must have shot so much material. I, I know that I think they shot over 100 hours of footage oh for God. this. And
1: How would you ever finish that movie? Like that's really impressive to me that you would shoot that much and then… Have
0: I believe they had three editors… Wow. who worked on it and this is film too yeah. this is not video that you're shooting on. you're shooting on film here so uh they definitely were burning a lot of film to get to the gold
2: i mean i will tell you not not that it compares not that i'm trying to keep drawing a p- comparison between the two but for the my brother my brother and me tv show we did six episodes each one was 22 to 23 minutes long and we shot 24 hours of film for each episode or yeah, wow. wow. but like y- yeah. you would just shoot and shoot and shoot and shoot and then be like, okay, but I will also say, uh, to our credit, and I bet that there's, you could make a three hour version easily of this is Spinal tap. Cause like our, the first edit of each of our episodes was like 45 minutes to an hour long. And then we had to trim that down to 23 minutes, but like that is, I will say one of the downsides of kind of shooting like this where you shoot and shoot and shoot and you're like, I loved <laughs> all of that. Okay, great. We can use twenty five minutes of it, yeah. what?
1: <laughs> but I just read uh Parker Posey's autobiography, and she talks about this where when the cast goes to, to watch the Christopher guest movies for the first time, they're always, all of them are so disappointed because they remember all the amazing things that didn't get in the movie.
0: Yeah. <laughs> all the gold. Uh, and sometimes it's just like one little moment, yeah. you know, that you had just like a great line or a great moment or a great reaction. But then when cutting it together, you have to think of the whole purpose of the scene and not just isolated moments, sure. you know? So you got to get it down to the bare bones of what's most efficient. So, so this was the, I think this is the shortest movie on my list. This is 82 minutes. Mm-hmm. So it's, it's tight, mm-hmm. uh, which Carlo was very thankful for, <laughs> I think, having just sat through Amadeus recently.
2: Um, but I will also say I looked it up because I've always been curious about it and I never knew why. So in, there are scenes where you can see the band members have like cold sores. There's like yes. a whole B plot of them having an opening act that was like an all female opening act from which all the members contracted herpes.
1: Oh my gosh, just amazing! Cut
2: from the movie, none of it exists in the movie, and so like there are then just random scenes. And what's interesting to me is until I looked that up, I thought, and I mean this sincerely, that there. Was, I I know what you're gonna say. I thought yeah, that there was ahead. a secret like subtle message that like nigel and david were like in some way <laughs> i had
1: thought a physical the same thing yes. i thought was, the exact same thing that was supposed to be a hint
2: that like one of them gave the other one herpes and, like,
1: that
2: was, <laughs> we were to, and then that's why like nigel is so jealous of janine and like that yep that's what i've always assumed
1: i 100 percent thought that especially because um I think that the scene of about how they met, like, when they were kids is, like, right after that. Yeah. And it really leans into that idea of they might be secretly in love with each other yes. or <laughs> I
2: stand by, you cannot take away from me that Nigel isn't in love with David. I will believe that they are not <laughs> in love with each other. But the way that mm-hmm. Nigel looks at Janine and David when they kind of kiss at the end is so, like... I. I'm convinced. Like, there's a part of them that's like, I think that that's what we were... At the very... Maybe it's not even romantic or sexual love so much that it's just, like, incredibly deep platonic love. I was mm-hmm. listening recently, there's a podcast called Cocaine and Rhinestones, and they do a whole episode on Buck Rogers and Don Rich, and they talk about, like, the two of them, like, being like almost telepathically linked, their ability to, like, do what the other one is thinking. And, like... Then I watched this movie again, and I was like, I think that that's what they're trying. It was like the two of them are so deeply connected, like, be that whatever relationship you want to read into it, that the interjection of Janine is, ah, uh, it's just so good. It's I love this movie. <laughs> Mm-hmm. The
0: fun thing is they're borrowing from – there. there's no one band that serves as the template for Spinal Tap. They're borrowing from various bits of rock history. So that's basically Paul and John and Yoko, that mm-hmm. dynamic right. definitely of the two like childhood best friends uh, with the girl who comes between them. Uh, were you a uh, a metalhead when you watched this movie for the first time?
2: No. See, that's the thing is I – This was never, so I was born in 83. Yeah. So like by the time I watched this movie, I want to say in like high school, I, it was like mid to late nineties. And so I am familiar with it. Like I grew up listening to a lot of like eighties bands and everything, but never, never the bands that this is clearly aping. Um, but I will say. I love the music in this movie. It's always been part of the thing that drew me to it is like, yes, it's funny, but also it's very good. <laughs> like, but it also it's really good. It's a very good music. Like after I watched it, I had tonight, I'm going to rock you tonight stuck in my head for like the rest of the day. <laughs> I, I do legit, they use that song in rock bands. Um, and you could like sing and play.
0: I remember that. So, yeah. Um, and if you kick ass on it, the drummer like, explodes, right? Yeah.
2: Yeah, And that's the thing is like I I think that it has this feeling of I don't think you have to love metal to like this movie because I think if you love metal, then this is like a loving portrait of like a joking version of it. And I think if you don't care about metal, this is like a mocking version of it. So like no matter what direction you're coming from, I think this movie kind of suits itself to your take.
0: It's win-win. Yeah. yeah,
2: and I will also say that it's very universal. Now that like we've been doing live show tours and stuff for my brother, my brother and me in Adventure Zone, there are parts of it like the part where they get lost in the bowels of the theater and can't find the stage. That has legit happened to us, on tour before. <laughs> and like we like ended up in the lobby or something. You know, like that has happened to us. It is very universal.
1: I also think like knowing. These actors now, years later, and having seen them, the 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 guys in the band, and so many other things, it's even more impressive the music because y- you realize, like, oh, they weren't they 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 aren't really musicians, but they are probably, yeah, yeah. you know, like they they can really play these musical instruments. <laughs> it's very impressive.
0: Yeah, I mean, Christopher Guest plays a mandolin at some point. Yeah, he plays piano, uh, he
2: plays, plays piano. Player. I will also. Say I love. Well, I think
0: I love Christopher Guest's like, voice. I was going to yes, say. Yes,
2: absolutely. <laughs> well, that's the thing It's I like all of, I think that one of the things that makes this movie so great to me is like, I really, and maybe I'm completely talking out of my ass, but I feel like they made it like a, like a documentary first and a comedy second. So like mm-hmm. they kind of really, I think are playing the band more than they are being funny about being the band. So like when they're on stage, it really seems like they're really enjoying playing music in front of a crowd. And like, you know, when they like, it all seems very sincere. And out of that comes, I think about the Stonehenge scene, which is another very famous scene where they're like legit into it in a way that then when the funny thing happens, they're kind of reacting to it, legitimately upset that it is happening. The same with when, uh, Harry Shear gets stuck in the pod, Like, you can see Nigel and David, like, keep leaning into each other and talking about it, and, like, they're not being funny, and because of that, the funny thing is able to just happen. Mm -hmm. And, like, I've seen this movie probably 30 or 40 times, and this is the first time I noticed (laughs) that the... (laughs) The stagehand is taking a blowtorch to the pod, and the mm-hmm. like, there is fire on the pod where he's trying to open it up, and it's like legit fire on it, and that's so funny to me.
0: It's so great, yeah. Mm-hmm. I think the, the main stylistic difference between, you know, the, the mockumentary format obviously has been perfected by Christopher Guest in his work, uh, and then in so many sitcoms as well of The Office and Parks and Rec and, and whatnot. And then also reality TV, uh, pervades our lives too. And we know that format, Mm -hmm. uh, so the main thing that distinguishes this mockumentary made in 1984, I think, is there's no cutaways to talking heads. Mm-hmm. There are right. – in, there's interviews with the band members and there's the concert sequences. But I think now while Derek is trapped in the pod, you'd cut away to Derek talking about being trapped in the pod and how the guys weren't helping him and whatever. And it wouldn't be as funny as it plays out in this yeah. movie of just playing out in real time. You don't need the commentary on it, you just need to watch it, but it's a lot more subtle, uh and I think that's why it works also, so the, much for me. Also, the
1: talking head scenes, the interview scenes in this include the filmmaker, yeah, which isn't something that you would see now. I you, don't think
0: you don't know who made Guffman, yeah, right? and, <laughs>
1: and you don't you don't know like in Parks and Rec, you don't know who that person was that they were always talking to, right? Yeah,
0: or exactly. I don't think Office,
1: or, the Office, I think.
0: Yeah, The Office, they eventually revealed that, I didn't right? I
1: the last
2: season you no. Non-canonical. <laughs> uh, but yeah, that's the in thing. the
0: final season, right? Yeah.
2: That's the thing is, like, I think because this was so, I, I, I don't know, it might be the first mockumentary, but at least very early in the format, there was no artifice. There's much less artifice to it. Is mm-hmm. It's not like, oh, yeah, well, this is how you do it. You do it like this. And so, like, the the only format they were following was actual documentaries you know what mm-hmm. i mean and so like without the joke established jokes st- structure you end up with this very sincere format where like if you don't know that it's funny you might just watch it and be like okay you know but mm-hmm. like once you know it's a joke the sincerity of it is what's so funny is, like, the fact that they are, like, all taking it so seriously and that it, like, is so important feeling. Like, for example, there are parts of the film where they're talking about, like, shows getting canceled and, like, hmm. that they went from playing, like, 10,000-seat stadiums to, like, 1,200-seat venues. We're like, that genuinely affects me in, like, a way where I feel bad for them. <laughs> like, mm-hmm. legit, it's like, oh, that sucks. Like, ah. Oh. Oh, and they're trying so hard. And like it really does get me <laughs> in a way,
0: you know? <laughs> just in the same way if you were following a band around on tour uh, as a documentarian you try to weave together a narrative from the raw footage right. that you have you know uh, this kind of happens there with the uh, with Nigel dropping out of the band and then you know all the friction with Janine and then that moment of David inviting Nigel back on stage at the end is genuinely affecting to yeah. me as well. Yeah
1: it is it's very sweet. Um, so I wonder what happened when Christopher Guest decided oh I'm gonna gonna go do a similar thing and why because everybody else was involved somehow but rob reiner was not ever involved right in the christopher guest movies
0: maybe just because he had moved on to uh, to being a serious filmmaker mm. maybe uh,
1: possibly it's just a weird it's just a weird thing i think maybe not i don't know but uh, i didn't know if there was some sort of story or lore as to what the reasoning behind that was
0: if there was beef between them yeah
2: yeah (laughs) i mean i also wouldn't be surprised if like i think about this a lot to compare it to one of my other favorite movies which is um with like young frankenstein where mel brooks and and gene wilder basically it was gene wilder's idea it was gene wilder's movie and then like mel brooks was brought in to work on it by gene wilder and basically became mel brooks's movie now everyone thinks about it as a mel brooks movie But it's Mel Brooks and Gene Wilder, like, they wrote it together, it was Gene Wilder's idea that he pitched to Mel Brooks. And so I wouldn't be surprised if there was an element of that with, like, with this movie, where, Mm -hmm. like, yeah, it was all very collaborative, Harry Shearer, Michael McKeon, and uh, Christopher Guest all wrote it with Rob Reiner, but it kind of feels like, to me, the later movies, Christopher Guest wanted to be in charge of them. And mm-hmm. like made his movies <clears throat> and maybe like Carl mm-hmm. Reiner just wasn't on board with that.
1: Well, Eugene Levy was, it was his partner for. That's right. At least the first two. Maybe Co-wrote Mighty some of those. Well. Yeah. Yeah.
0: Yeah. Young Frankenstein is a good point of comparison because part of what's so funny about it is just the authenticity. This feels like a legitimate universal black and white mm-hmm. classic monster movie. And so it's that devotion to style that earns it extra points as well as the performances being, uh, authentic and funny. It's some, it's some of young Frankenstein are more over the top than others, but it's mm-hmm. fairly grounded. Definitely compared to the rest of Mel Brooks's yeah. oeuvre.
2: And, and listen, I, I love, uh, I love Waiting for Guffman. I love Mighty Wind. I love uh, Best in Show. Sure. I love all of them. But there's something to be said about, like, it feels like in, in those, especially once you get into, like, Mighty Wind and, like, the later ones, where it feels like people are trying to be funny. They're trying to make a comedy rather than moments of comedy coming out of sincerity. And it's just, it's not that one is better than the other. It's just two different feelings you know two different kind of where i feel like the comedy in um in spinal tap really comes out of like so there's the scene with i think it's paul uh oh what's his name the, paul schaefer yeah paul schaefer as the promoter and they're in the arty
0: fafkin palmer records
2: yeah and they're in the <laughs> the signing and like no one's there and it's a very sincere like you f- palpable feeling and so it's very funny where no one's really trying to be funny but like everything that happens in that scene is funny because of how real it is and like that kind of thing where like it would be a completely different feeling scene if people were trying to be funny if you had a character walk in and like make a joke about them or something like that would be a different scene than it is and yeah yeah
0: as somebody who's done signings at comic cons with very few people attending, like I know the feeling. <laughs> like, oh, when and when are my people coming out? It's like, uh, it could be humiliating.
2: <laughs> you could have had somebody come in and then say, like, "Oh, sorry, I thought that this was another band," and it's like, "Oh no, that's tomorrow." And It's like, oh, okay, and then they leave, and like that could have been the joke, and it would have been a much different feeling than it was. So there's a lot of that where it's like, it just. I don't know, this. it definitely feels like a precursor to the Christopher Guest movies, but I always feel weird calling this one, like, one of the Guest movies, because mm-hmm. it just feels, this feels like a brother or cousin to those, rather than, like, directly connected.
1: Yeah. It is uh, funny to kind of see his style versus the others. Like, there were several scenes in which he kind of took the joke to the next level, I noticed. Like, the vomit the the talk about the drummer dying uh-huh.
0: of... Someone um, else's vomit. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> uh,
1: yeah. Harry Shearer says, yeah, he choked on vomit. And Christopher Guest immediately says, someone else's vomit. Yeah. Which is super silly, right? But super funny. But you can kind of see that sensibility already because his, his movies later are, are just sillier in general.
0: Yeah. Nigel, to me, is the, the breakout character from this movie. I mean, I really fell in love with Christopher Guest watching this movie. And... This was before he was on SNL uh, because he joined the SNL cast in the fall of 84. This movie came out, I believe, in the summer of 84. So I don't think I was familiar with him from anything other than Spinal Tap when I saw this. And Nigel was such a real character to me, and I loved – the accent I loved uh his role in the band. I loved that he was a little kind of pouty and passive aggressive <laughs> uh and he really is one of my favorite characters from a comedy of of all time and uh so then I really started following Christopher Guest's career and would get so excited when he popped up in things uh like uh like Little Shop of Horrors. And, uh, that, that 1984 cast of SNL, by the way, this is when Lauren was not producing the show for a couple of years. And I believe it was Dick Ebersaal, uh, the head of NBC Sports was in charge. And so he hired a bunch of ringers like Harry Shearer. Christopher Guest, Billy Crystal, who all came in for one year, they were already well known as opposed to starting with a cast of unknowns, uh, like SNL would, would typically do, but it actually was a very polished year, surprisingly polished for SNL and spinal tap, uh, Played SNL that fall, and also the Folksmen did. It was the first appearance of the Folksmen, which uh, are the same three guys: mckean Shearer, and and Guest. So this is twenty years before a mighty wind. Oh wow. uh, the, the Folksmen had an appearance on SNL that season.
2: What uh, I will say, watching it again, it was interesting to me. Uh, I remember Harry Shearer being a much larger part of it than he actually is. Like <clears throat> he has some really good scenes. But like, he doesn't play nearly as large a part as like, as McKeon and, 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 uh, Guest do as far as like, story goes. Mm-hmm. Yeah. He's much more of a backseat character for someone I who like I how, consider to be so important to it.
1: I like how his character his, comes together at the end when they're on the, the, rooftop bar talking about what they're going to do next and you kind of realize because he's just like we'll we'll do this musical i'm excited about this i'm excited to not have to do this anymore and you realize like oh he's just been along for the ride the whole time he's just that guy who's like that that friend of yours that you're like let's go do this and that guy's like okay whatever i'll do whatever
0: (laughs) he's the bass player that's the old stereotype of the bass player
2: (laughs) well especially considering as it's established in the story that like nigel and david have been friends since they were eight and then at some point he joined there, yeah. you know what I mean? But <laughs> I will also say, like, he has maybe one of my favorite moments in the whole movie, which is at, after the whole Stonehenge conversation and like Ian quits and there's it. And he goes just like, <laughs> and he says like, just a technical question are we doing Stonehenge tomorrow? <laughs> it's just so funny to me. No, we're not going to fucking
0: do Stonehenge. <laughs> funny that,
2: like, that whole scene plays out, and I don't think he said, like, one thing in the whole scene, and he's like, yeah. are we doing it? Oh, no, he does say, like, they could change the choreography to keep the people away from Stonehenge are like that's not the problem. <laughs> <laughs> He's he he is a very I think his character and Harry Shearer from from other movies I've seen him in where he is improv ing, he is very good at like sitting waiting 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 mm-hmm. and then buttoning a joke yeah perfectly.
1: That's lit. what Craig does in improv scenes. That's what you're known for.
2: Yeah, I am the Harry
0: Shearer. <laughs> I am the Derek Smalls of any improv group.
1: Well,
2: and it's funny, right? Because like, there is something about, cause it does honestly remind me a lot of like my brothers, where like, I, I usually am the one who like takes it to like the silliest, you know, point, And like, Justin is more like Michael McKee in his day where it's much more like he's driving it. And then Griffin will sit there and sit there and sit there and then say something that's just like, well, that's the funniest thing any of us. <laughs> of. And I think that there is, it's a fairly classic dynamic of like, you kind, I think when you have three in an improv or any kind of comedy, you kind of have straight man and then like the zany and then kind of like, I don't know, the, the button, the like sniper, whatever you want to call it of like, <laughs> cool. I'm going to be the calculated one who like finishes the whole thing going, okay, wait, what were we talking about? After this like huge mm-hmm. explanation happened, you know, like that, yeah. there's something about that that's really classic and funny to me.
0: Mm -hmm. it is such a great dynamic and then there's two other guys in the band who are actually real musicians Mm -hmm. uh whose whose parts are relatively small the drummer and the uh the keyboard player
1: i love that ed Bagley jr is the first drummer i didn't know that he was in it that was so great (laughs) it's a
0: great tall blonde geek with glasses uh yeah so there's the recurring bit of all the drummers dying i love the line at the end uh there's you know There's been so many people in this. There's been 37 people in this band over the years. Yeah. Well, and for some
2: reason, I also – I always like to watch, especially like mockumentaries like this or any kind of like improv comedy – where they set scenes because sometimes it just you can really feel the like behind the scenes conversation of you know what would be funny because there's the whole conversation with the drummer where he's in the bathtub with the shower cap on and yeah the setting <laughs> of that is so funny to me that i can just feel them be like oh you know it'd be funny okay you sit on the toilet and i'll be in the bathtub and we'll have the whole conversation <laughs> as if i i was in the bathtub and i said come in you can talk to me in here it's that's So weird and funny to me. (laughs) So good.
0: (laughs) Well, let's go chronologically through the movie a little bit with a segment that we like to call Carla's Quotes.
2: She's feeling her oats, and Craig's taking notes. Whatever they are,
1: it's Carla's
2: Quotes.
0: Though, Carla, I think you didn't talk that much during the movie today. No,
1: I was Uh, into it. What did, uh, what did your wife
0: think of it, by the way, Travis?
2: She really enjoyed it. I, I asked her immediately afterwards if it was her new favorite movie. She said no. And I said, oh, no, I said, should we watch it again? And she said no. But she didn't enjoy it. She laughed. Uh, it was all while trying to wrangle our two year old, mind you. So, you know, she didn't get to pay as much attention to it as she will for the next eight days when I show it to her every day until she falls in love with it. <laughs>
0: Because it's so subtle and grounded, it's a movie that holds up well to repeated viewings, oh, okay. I think, as the Christopher Guest movies do, too, mm-hmm. because you notice more things. And there's a lot of overlapping dialogue in this and lines you don't hear for years and even lines that you don't get for years. I didn't get the joke on Isle of Lucy for years, uh, which I think is so funny.
1: What, what was that joke?
0: Well, they did a blues jazz. Festival. It was more of a jazz blues festival. It was on the Isle of the Isle of the Isle of Lucy.
2: Yeah. Oh, I, I
0: love Lucy.
2: <laughs> and then much like any really great comedy, I think it's one of those two where like, I hadn't seen it for, I don't know, two or three years since the last time I watched it. And so then when moments would come up, like, oh yeah, I love this. And so like, you would get the double of like, one, it's a funny scene, but two, I also really love this scene. So watching it makes me happy. And like the, the, the scene of them at, I know I just keep bringing up scenes I love, but them at Elvis <laughs> Presley's grave. It's yeah. So funny to me. One, I love watching it, but also I love it so much that every time it happens, it makes me happy. Like just watching it.
0: Since <laughs> of place to live, found a new place to dwell. What's, what's that harmony you're doing? <laughs> no, that's not going to work. It can't hit that, that note. Sounds
2: like a fucking barbershop. Oh,
0: barbershop Raga. Uh, here's something I learned in doing research on it is the entire movie was shot in LA County. Mm-hmm. And I, I was always under the impression that they were in all the real places on tour, but which of course would cost so much more to do. Where so, was that
1: castle house thing that they were sitting in front of? That,
0: that could be in Pasadena or somewhere. Yeah. I don't know. There's a lot of weird mansions, you know, in, yeah. in LA that they could shoot at, but I, I always assumed that they were actually in New York and, uh, Cleveland, you know, but the, yeah. but certainly you wouldn't need to shoot the uh, "Hello Cleveland" scene in Cleveland. You could shoot that in any arena. Yeah. But it does kind of create that feeling of being on tour. Uh, and I guess they they did maybe they get a, got a shot at Graceland of Elvis's grave. Uh, but they weren't actually there. They were all in L.A. Shooting that. Uh, so there's a record company party early on where you see a bunch of mimes uh, as waiters. And Carla said, was that Dana Carvey with Billy Crystal? Everybody looks so different and young. <laughs> and I think that was part of the fun for Carla in this movie is seeing these people in 1984 yeah. in their 30s. And it
1: was Dana Carvey, right?
0: It was. It was I, Dana Carvey years before he was on SNL.
1: I
2: never caught that it was Dana Carvey before. I didn't know it was Dana Carvey until I looked at the IMDb trivia. I always knew it was yeah. Billy Crystal, Crazy. and I never noticed the other person. <laughs> yeah. Come
0: on. Come on. Do the dead bird. My Miss Money. You know, <laughs> Billy Crystal's voice is so distinct. Right. You get that right away. Yeah.
2: Also, I you think have was- to think that there were, like, at least an hour of footage with Dana Carvey and Billy Crystal that got cut. From, like, you know, yeah. I'm
1: like, Ugh.
0: There is a lot of uh deleted scenes on the special features, by the way, and I did – years ago when I got this DVD, sat through them, and they're not that great. Uh. (laughs) I mean, at least not as good as you think they would be. And it's a lot of sitting through scenes that aren't quite clicking you know so you do appreciate a, a good judicious editor who can get you to the gold uh then bruno kirby is on Carlos said hey it's that guy from city slickers <laughs> and uh, and fran Drescher too is really good yeah. and she's, uh, sh- she's doing her distinct fran Drescher voice but she's not the nanny of like it gives you a sense of like what she might have done uh having been given more opportunities
2: she's yeah. also on uhf and she's great in uhf that's right yeah, yeah. I, also- I haven't I
1: She's also in Saturday Night Fever. (laughs) I always forget every time
2: I watch this movie how big a part she is, too, because I always think, oh, a
1: cameo. I'm like, no,
2: she's in like three or four scenes. Like, she plays a fairly large part. (laughs) Mm -hmm. She's great.
0: When it cuts to them playing Big Bottom, it starts with Derek Smalls with the double uh, necked Mm bass, and Carla immediately laughed at that and said, I've never seen anything like that. Is that the point? <laughs> uh that's but it, a real
1: instrument, right?
0: But this is this was a time where rock bands, particularly like metal bands, would have like these ridiculous like double necked, you know, that this is when the guitar like came into vogue. Uh there was a cheap trick video where Rick Nielsen had like a four necked guitar that he was playing of like so it and if you watch the video for they shot a video for Hellhole, one of the the single from the album mm-hmm. and it's funny but it's really not that different from a typical video you might see on mtv which is kind of the point of uh the uh satirically which is like this looks just like a video yeah <laughs> uh but it's a fake band uh Carlos said michael mckeon could really be a rock star i'm not convinced by the other guys
1: <laughs> <gasps> did i say that
0: you did say that
1: i don't think i said i'm not convinced oh okay did i
0: Well, I mean, he's definitely got, like, the long... I mean, they're all wigs, (laughs) but, you know, he's a pretty convincing front man. Yeah, uh, I think think what I I was trying
1: to say was, like, I just really believe that he is a rock star.
0: Yeah, and he's got that grit in his voice, you know?
1: (laughs) I think Uh, what's interesting, because you
2: mentioned earlier on about, like, Nigel being kind of pouty, is I think that he has moments where he's really into it, and I think when, when he's really into it, he feels like a real rock star. But I do feel like Michael McKeon's David is always into it, even yeah, when they're playing like the committed. crappiest places. He's
1: right, still right.
2: Doing it as hard as he can.
1: Yeah.
0: Yeah, like uh McCartney would have kept the Beatles going for another twenty years if the other guys had wanted to do it. Yeah. <laughs> you know, like it's the front man who like doesn't see that the things around him are uh are collapsing uh i love you can see them breaking as rob reiner interviews them about the the bad reviews the shark sandwich shit sandwich
2: <laughs> you know it's so... that. where would they print that <laughs> good reaction to
0: it uh the the owner of the record company played by patrick mcnee from the avengers is sir dennis Eaton hogg which is such a funny name uh but when fran opened oh, oh, answers the phone, uh, she's like, it's Ethan Hogg, and Carlos said, it's Ethan Hawk.
2: <laughs> <laughs> I also had to rewind it, because at one point, uh, he says he got the knighthood, somebody says he got the knighthood for opening Hogswood, and I heard Hogwarts, and I was like, yeah. wait, What? <laughs>
0: There is a J.K. Rowling connection or like she was influenced by this movie. And do you know what it is?
1: I do. It's the colors on his t-shirt at the end (laughs) (laughs) on the manager's t-shirt. It's the Gryffindor colors.
0: Oh, uh, that wasn't what I was thinking of.
1: (laughs) In the scene where they, where he quits, he's wearing a shirt. And I was like, Oh my God, that's the Gryffindor
0: logo. (laughs) Uh, what she has said is that she was influenced by the constant death of Spinal Tap drummers for the defense of the dark arts teachers, oh, not lasting more than a year <laughs> at that's school. That's funny. So in her mind, that was a Spinal Tap reference. That's crazy. Uh, do you know, uh, Travis, about Harry Shearer's lawsuit against the, uh, studio that made this film? No. I guess he uh, is suing them for $125 million in back royalties, claiming that off of merchandise and record sales that he has only made, uh, respectively, I think it was 81 and $91 what? <laughs> off of the merchandise and record sales from this movie. And they're trying to get uh, – I think it's Vivendi was the company to revoke their copyright and return the rights to – uh, the actual members of Spinal Tap. Uh, so this is a lawsuit that is pending.
2: Oh, so this is like happening
1: now.
0: This is happening now. But yeah. but
1: Christopher Guest and Michael McKean aren't involved. I
0: think they are also now involved in the lawsuit. Wow. Huh. I uh,
1: wonder if this is the kind
2: of thing because like I wonder if this is the kind of thing where when they were making the movie, somebody said like, okay, cool, because it was only two and a half million dollars. And so like, and which is, you know, I don't know. Money. Don't get me wrong. But <laughs> it's money. For, for like movie budget seems very low. And so it really seems like, hey, okay, we'll fund your movie, but like we own it and like, you know what I mean? Because like, who yeah. thought merchandising and record sales would come out of this, you know? So I don't know. It, it's weird that it's gone this long and it's like, you know what? It's weird that we haven't made any money off of this, right? Yeah
0: i own the I owned the soundtrack and listened to it constantly back then my uh my friend Toby and i it's interesting you said you're gonna show it to your, every day to your wife yeah. for a week uh my friend Toby and I in the summer of eighty five once it had come out on v h s we decided we were gonna watch that every day for a summer uh and I think we made it through ten days of consecutively <laughs> watching it and that eventually got bored not with the movie but the idea. <laughs> Of it. Uh, and, uh, and Purple Rain. We were alternating that movie and Purple Rain mm-hmm, as, a, as our two favorites at the time, which I, I believe does not hold up quite as well as a story, though it's got great, uh, Prince God concert footage, of mm-hmm. course. Uh, they made a 20 minute demo version of this. Uh, before and, and some of the scenes from the demo made it into the movie because they felt that they couldn't write a script that it had to be improvised. And so, in order to prove it to the studio, they shot a 20 minute demo version first, which is
2: unusual. I like to watch the movie and try to figure out what the, cause I think like the interview with Marty and them where they're talking about like the drummers dying and the reviews and stuff that feels like something you could do in a day. The stuff like th- with the guitars and the speakers that feels like I'm just, I watch it and I'm like, what's the 20 minutes and what's the like stuff they did with the budget, you know? Yeah. Mm.
0: I think uh the stuff with Janine was added later to give it uh some sort of semblance of a plot arc story. Arc, Definitely. Arc. Yeah. yeah. Uh That's
1: exactly what I thought. As soon as she came on, I was like, oh, now they have to make a story out of this. <laughs> so they bring in the lady who's going to break up the band. Now, obviously,
0: the three lead guys are Americans, though, uh, Christopher Guest is like the fourth lord of, uh, something Guest Hayden or something. Uh, so he is British royalty. Uh, his father was a British, uh, consulate or something at the, in the united nations sure. and so he has dual dual citizenship uh but the other two guys in the band are brits as well as uh june chadwick who plays janine and uh tony hendra who plays ian faith i think tony hendra gives a great performance yeah. in this he's very believable very because
2: uh, like when he is fl- to and I maybe it's just like the nature of improvising too, but like when he is flustered and improvising at the same time, like that's a really hard thing to do to like be emotional and emotionally committed and then be like having the conversation about like, and I'm here and I'm doing. Who is this? Who is this? Who are you? Why are you? What? what? Like that's a really hard thing to pull off and be funny at the same time. And I think he does yeah.
0: a great job. I love that scene where he quits. I love, uh, his scene with Angelica Houston with the Stonehenge Monument, which she's made 18 inches. <laughs> <laughs> uh, and yeah, he was best known for being an editor at the National Lampoon. Uh, so he had, I think, produced that, uh, Lemming show that Christopher Guest was in in the early seventies, along with Belushi and, uh, and Chevy Chase. Uh, and I love the line, uh, when, uh marty de is asking him about the smaller crowds for spinal tap of like do you think their appeal is uh waning or do you think uh uh he said no no i just think their appeal is becoming more selective <laughs> which is <laughs> such a great line
2: there's also a great it's a really tiny moment in that scene i think it's that scene where he's talking about the cricket bat on the table and he's like yeah it's more of a and he's trying to think of the word and marty says affectation and he just kind of goes right fast he's like Well, it's, and he like doesn't react to the word affectation. It's like, that's exactly what it is. Like you're trying to be hard and kill this thing. So funny to me. Affectation. Well, it's necessary sometimes. (laughs)
0: Here's Carla and Tony Hindra. His eyes are amazing. Is he doing that on purpose? (laughs) (laughs) Um, yeah, I, I love also the cutaways to earlier versions of them. So they they were the Thamesmen. So they were like a British invasion band, uh, like Jerry and the Pacemakers, like uh, Herman's Hermits type thing uh, when they're singing, Give Me Some Money. And that's so well done. And then they remade themselves into a flower power hippie band for Listen to the Flower People. And those just look like a video that you would see from like 1964 and 1967, respectively.
2: There's also that moment in the Listen to the Flower People where it's like a close-up on Derek Small's face just saying, like, I love you. And it's just, like, <laughs> so weird and perfect. Here's a little bit of trivia. Uh,
0: I, I wanted to delve deeper into the catalog of Christopher Guest on IMDb because I'm like, he's such a comedy icon, you know? Uh But he mostly is concentrated on his own projects, you know, ever since Guffman. And... Do you know in the last 30 years how many non-Christopher Guest movies that Christopher Guest has – the ones that he wrote and directed that he has appeared in in the last 30 years?
1: How many that he has appeared in?
0: How how many movies he has appeared in? And the answer is four. Only four movies – that he did not do himself. Most of, he has 90 IMDb credits, but most of them are playing Nigel Tufnell on like talk shows <laughs> and stuff oh, like wow. that.
1: Well, he's married to Jamie Lee Curtis, right?
0: So that's a full-time so, job.
1: Well, no. <laughs> so he doesn't have to work is what I
0: was thinking. Oh, he definitely doesn't have to work, but it's interesting for somebody who is such, I think, a comedy icon, how little he works mm-hmm. in other people's stuff. So, uh, can you name any of those four movies from the last 30 years?
2: Princess Bride. Mm -hmm.
1: That's
0: 87, so it's a little further back. Right, right, right. But one of them is a Rob Reiner movie.
1: Oh, I have no idea.
0: And it's a drama.
1: The story of us. And he
0: plays a doctor in it who is appearing at a trial. No idea. Uh, and he's being interviewed by Tom Cruise.
1: Oh, A Few Good Men. A Few Good Men. Yeah, Christopher right. Guest has a serious
0: in role in oh that. Yeah. He played Ivan the Terrible in Night at the Museum, uh, Battle of the Smithsonian or something like that. Uh-huh. That tracks. Uh, he's in a Stephen Frears movie with Judy Dench called Mrs. Henderson Presents, playing oh. a British lord in that. And I forgot the other one. <laughs> <laughs> but it's, uh, that just blew my mind how little he works other than things that he personally can control.
1: It's a dream, man. It's what everybody (laughs) wants to do, right?
0: Apparently that Hello Cleveland moment where they get lost backstage was inspired by footage of a Tom Petty documentary where he's playing in Germany and the band is backstage trying to go to the stage and they come out of a door onto an indoor tennis court. Uh. (laughs) (laughs) I remember a... uh, in my concert band class, uh there was a day like when uh like the band director had to do like uh, uh evaluations for people and she let us bring in movies to watch. And so I brought in Spinal Tap and it was during that scene where they have the fight in the studio where they're yelling fuck like 50 times in a row mm-hmm. at each other that she finally came in and turned it off. She's like, "You can't watch this. What are you doing?" <laughs> <laughs> uh how about Fred Willard's one scene?
1: Oh, so good. Once again,
2: another thing where, like, his humor comes from, like, he's not trying to make jokes. Ju- like, the moment he was like, oh, they might think I'm part of the band. No, of course, I'm just kidding. Where it's like, that is not inherently funny, but the way he does it and the scene in yeah. which it happens is so good.
1: His timing is just the best.
0: He's so smooth and effortless. Yeah. Too. uh As opposed to, like, we, we talked about people kind of talking over themselves or having to rephrase of, like, his improv is just... Flows like it's yeah. so so and, great.
2: And when he says that uh, we have all your records, well, not your records, but like rock and roll. <laughs> so, it's so funny <laughs> to me. Of like, wow, that thing you just said is like monstrously insulting, but you said it <clears> in the <throat> nicest way.
0: <laughs> Apparently, they went to the Writers Guild and wanted to give writing credit to every actor that appeared in the movie.
1: Yeah, I mean, I do wonder that kind of stuff, right? Because it it gets the the lines are blurred. If yeah, you're improvising. It gets tricky.
0: But apparently, the Writers Guild shot that down, and so it's just Rob Reiner and the three lead guys that got, uh, writing credit for it. And the $98 in residuals that have come <laughs> with it. Uh, some of the best bits, I think, are in the ending credits, which is just kind of outtakes of, uh, interviews. Uh, and I love, uh, Nigel's last line I don't know, what are the hours? <laughs> it's just like the perfect, perfect note to go out on. Uh, Travis, is this an A for you?
2: Oh, definitely. I think that this is a comedy classic. Like, And, and maybe there's a classic movie in general. It's well made. It's indicative of its time while still being timeless. I think it is perfect.
0: Carlo, what would you give it?
1: I will give it an A minus.
0: Okay. What does that stand for?
1: It stands for uh, A minus... Uh, Minus Catherine O'Hara. If Catherine (laughs) O'Hara had been in this. You wanted
0: more ladies.
1: (laughs) That was specifically Catherine (laughs) O'Hara.
2: I will say that it is one of the things that is lacking of, like, when you look through the movie of, like, female representation, it's not good. Like, it is (laughs) not good. And, like, there's a lot of, like, sexism and stuff that does exist that is, on some level, forgivable, I think, because of the nature of, like, you're not supposed to like these people. And they are sexist. And, like, that is part of who they are. Yeah. But, but there is also something that when you think about really the only two main female characters are Janine who is breaking out the band and Fran and uh, yeah, Fran Drescher's character who is the one telling them they're not allowed to do the thing they want to do, like Yeah, yeah. Not great. But But, I
0: mean, the stuff they're satirizing with the Smell the Glove cover, I mean, if you look at a Scorpions album cover from around that era, it's not that far off from what metal bands were actually doing. So it's certainly a a worthy
2: thing to satirize. (laughs) it totally fits the topic. It's it's one of those things where you got to find, like, your own kind of uh, divide between is this on purpose and we're supposed to feel this way, or is this something to do with the making of the film that you would have corrected if you made it now? I don't
1: know. Maybe the manager would be a a woman now.
2: (laughs) Sure. Yeah.
0: Yeah. Uh, Well, I I still love this movie as much as I always have. Uh, It was at number 24. I'm going to keep it generally where it is, though I think uh, I'm just going to put it slightly after Sunset Boulevard and E.T., which we've already covered, and ahead of The Hustler. So Spinal Tap is pretty much holding its place uh, just – uh Sunset Boulevard and E. T. are even higher in my regard. Uh Travis, you want to improvise a brief scene with us?
2: Of course I do. Yeah. Uh,
0: I think us trying to live up to the uh, the accents and uh, legacies of the real characters might be too much to ask for. So, <laughs> but I'm going to be Marty Debergie okay. uh, since I've already done that character, and uh, I'm just interviewing a couple uh, that's at a Spinal Tap show. So, uh, you are a uh, man and woman attend. Uh, you've just attended a Spinal Tap show.
1: Okay. <clears throat>
0: uh, hi, Marty Debergie here. Uh, I- I- I'm oh. here with a couple oh, of fans. Hey, hi! How you doing? I'm I'm talking to uh to fans of the band Spinal Tap. You just saw the show. What'd you think?
1: Um, oh gosh, I, Oh, man, I scream so much. <laughs> just talk. Just look at
2: the camera. We, should we talk in the mic?
0: Yeah. No, ignore the mic. You know, just be yourselves. You know, be natural.
1: Oh my gosh! Uh, just want
0: to get like, your natural reactions to the show.
1: I've always wanted to. I've always wanted to be on the big screen. <laughs> okay.
0: They, they, this is probably going to play on basic cable, so.
2: Mm-hmm. I I liked um I just thought all the songs were great. Um the energy, all oh, the energy of the crowd um and yeah. I liked oh, mm-hmm. it was so good.
1: Yeah, I liked it when Nigel ripped off his pants. <laughs> <laughs>
2: that was unusual. That was
1: He ripped off his pants. <laughs> and you liked that? I liked it. I'm sorry. No,
2: that okay. That's fine. Yes. Yeah, it was it's was, it was it just
1: a good part of the show. It was surprising. <laughs> uh, uh, uh,
0: how, how long you two been together?
1: Uh oh gosh, like uh six weeks,
2: yeah, it's been so there's uh, a new relationship it feels like a lifetime Six it weeks. feels like, I mean it's like uh, I felt but you know might as well be
1: six years, right, honey? It feels like yesterday <laughs> whose idea was yesterday? it to go to the
0: show? Who's the big spinal tap fan here? Mm,
1: well, that's actually why we started dating. our friend, a mutual friend, was like, Oh, I know two people who like spinal tap, and so she introduced us well, she so got
0: fixed up.
2: Yeah, mm-hmm. I mean, I like. Yeah, I like. Yeah, I like Spinal Tap.
1: Wait, don't you like Spinal Tap? Of
2: course, yeah, I like. Um, uh
1: what's your I, favorite I, album? Favorite album?
2: Uh it's got to be the first.
1: Yeah, I like the the egg that won't crack. That's my the favorite the egg that won't crack.
0: crack. That's a good one. Oh yeah, yeah me with, too. I love it with so good. with Ross mm-hmm. McLaughlin's, Yeah,
1: mm-hmm. I have a I have a feeling you don't really like Spinal Tap as much as you. Oh, did you I misrepresent l- yourself? No, I love i liked i liked when nigel ripped his pants off i thought that that was great. Oh, me too yeah me that too. was great I that. Too.
2: and derek was great and uh uh the other guy was great i just loved it
0: did you feel did you feel f- threatened by the band and uh the the armadillos that they have in their trousers
2: uh what i mean yeah <laughs> yeah what?
1: Uh, I, are yes. they called armadillos now is that what we're calling this? Well,
0: I, I'm using the band's own words oh, when I say okay. armadillos and our literal. Not literal yeah. No, armadillos. no. They don't. That would be absurd no, and dangerous. Like, so I got up the
2: bathroom at one point, and I thought I just missed something.
1: <laughs> uh, you did. Um, you missed my favorite song.
0: Now, are you guys going to follow the band around on tour? Where are you heading next?
1: Uh, we're heading to Cleveland. <laughs> we are? Oh, uh, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I borrowed my dad's van, remember? <laughs>
2: Okay, it's just that I have to work tomorrow? No, it's fine. I'll just quit. I
1: feel like maybe you're not prioritizing things.
0: <laughs> I have a what? feeling this thing isn't going to work out between the two of you.
2: All right. Well, that's a cool thing to just say <laughs> to us. All right. <laughs> Who are you? You know?
0: I make the uh, the commercials, you know, that little covered wagon that goes under the, uh, the sink. Oh,
1: I hey. love that one.
0: Thank you. <laughs>
1: hey, do you like Cleveland? I love Cleveland. Okay. All right.
0: All right. I'm going to take, I'm going to take her to that show if that's cool.
2: All right. Well, fuck me, I guess. (laughs) And scene.
0: (laughs) Uh,
1: Travis, thank you so
0: much for joining us, man. We really appreciate it.
1: Travis, you, you you played my boyfriend and my son. Yeah. We've done (laughs) this episode. (laughs) And then I only have to
2: play your dad and I've got the trifecta.
1: (laughs) (laughs) What's going on with you?
0: What do you want to, what do you want to promote?
2: Um, well, it's such a good question. When does this go up?
0: Uh, that's, uh, yes. Early October.
1: How early October? <laughs> uh, first week of October.
0: Right? First week of October. Okay. We're going to put it out uh, October 2nd.
1: Oh,
2: perfect. Okay, yeah. I am um, going to be at New York Comic Con the 6th, and I'm doing a show with, and I'm going to pull this up because the, the guest list is really awesome, and I need to not miss anybody. Um, Paul and Storm, Jonathan Colton. Gene Gray, um, hold on, I'm looking here. Janet Varney, Ben Blacker, Quelle Chris, Holly Conrad, The Double Clicks, Brent Black, Samus the Rapper, Courtney Enlow, Pat Rothfuss, <laughs> Lucky Yates, Miles Luna, Amy Dallin, Clint McCroy, Jamie Cordero, and me and Teresa McRoy doing one show at Whoa. New York Comic Con. Yeah. It's
0: Holy shit.
1: Travis is it going to be a Travis and friends? Yeah. Mm-hmm.
2: That is loaded. Yeah, I'm really excited about it. <laughs> well, it's also because it's mine and Teresa's five-year wedding anniversary, so we wanted uh, to have like a party with all of our friends there. So we're doing that as a show. Um It's going to be super fun. You can get tickets for it at bit.ly slash McElroy NYCC. It's October 6th. That's 730 at the Hammerstein Ballroom. Um I'm really, really excited about it. And there's a bunch of other stuff I'm doing at Comic-Con. And I'll, like, post uh, on Twitter, at Travis McRoy all of my different events and that kind of thing. And I'm very excited about it all. Hey, happy anniversary. Hey, thank you so much. Mm-hmm.
0: Uh, that's really cool. We will happily cross-promote that. Carla, coming up next is number 23 on Craigslist. Mm-hmm. And there is no place... Like home, the Wizard
1: of Oz, the Wizard of Oz, one of the most beloved
0: movies of all time. Have you seen this one?
1: I have many times. Okay, (laughs) you like it? I like it a lot.
0: Okay, so I think that should be a fairly easy watch and talk. So, Craig's listeners, uh, please tune in in a couple weeks for the Wizard of Oz. The list is an absolute good, the list is life.